Welcome to the League of Leaders podcast. I am your co-host, Kevin Davis, along with my partner in crime, Erica Monet. Yes, we are uh, we're glad to be back, back in the house for our first interview of 2023 to kick off Black History Month. And today uh, we do have a special guest, uh, Elizabeth Kemp Calder. Um, and it's wild how the social media algorithms bring you together with certain folks. Uh, we were chatting about this a little bit earlier, just how I hadn't met Elizabeth prior to, but she randomly popped up in my timeline on LinkedIn and Instagram and I think Facebook. Um, and so I was like, who is this person that I keep seeing and everyone's tagging and commenting. And uh, we do some of the same things in terms of uh, marketing and leadership um, and things like that. So, um, and then we also did uh, spend a little bit of time together last year, Whoa, was that 2021? 2021, I believe it was when the University of South Florida had this massive DEI training that I, I think 150,000 people signed up for, and I believe 80,000 finished. I think that was the number. But we were a part of our, we met our own little cohort. Uh, so we had a little bit of time to get to know each other. So uh, before we get into the interview, I do want to let you know who Elizabeth is. Uh, Elizabeth Kim Calder is a seasoned brand marketing professional with over two decades of experience in the industry. She's held various executive leadership positions at prominent agencies and worked with some of the largest and most recognizable brands in the world. As the founder and chief brand strategist of the Phoenix Lifestyle Marketing Group, Elizabeth leads her team in providing expert brand strategy and marketing services to Fortune 500 clients. In addition to her demanding career, Elizabeth is a dedicated community servant who actively works to make a positive impact in the world. She serves on the board of directors for several nonprofit organizations, including the March of Dime, where she leads the marketing and communications committee to raise awareness and support for maternal and infant health. Elizabeth is also an advisor council member of the WEI Forward, a global NGO dedicated to women's economic empowerment and serves on the board of directors for Vehicles of Change, a nonprofit organization empowering underserved families and the formerly incarcerated. Well, to uh, add to her wonderful uh, bio here, she is also a mentor and advisor to young professionals and is a proud member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Uh, she serves as the international head of marketing for the organization and has been actively involved in its local, state, and international efforts for almost 28 years. So um, her expertise in brand marketing and her commitment to making a positive impact have made her a well-respected and influential figure in the industry. Elizabeth's passion for community service extends beyond for work for nonprofit organizations. She is also a mentor and advisor to diverse, uh, to diverse young professionals around the world, responding to the call from Durham University in the UK for professionals to guide, uh, to help guide students of diverse backgrounds to shape our global community in new ways. With her dynamic and multifaceted approach to her professional and personal life, Elizabeth Kim Calder stands as a model of excellence and inspiration for those around her. She is a visionary leader who balances her demanding career and her commitment to community service and advocacy. Her expertise um, in brand marketing, her dedication to making a positive impact, and her passion for mentorship make her a valuable asset to any organization and a role model for young professionals around the world. 
That Elizabeth. was a lot. <laughs> welcome to the league, Elizabeth. Yes, wow. welcome to the league. Wow, and thank you for the wonderful introduction. That's I was I was looking around the room trying to figure out who we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, you know, part of what we do here at the league is we want to make sure folks get their flowers. And you want to make sure that that we flex and brag on folks and their accomplishments. And you've worked hard for it. So sometimes just let somebody else say it. And so you couldn't stop us. So we said it. Here you are. Yes. Appreciate that. I, I said it all with a smile, too. I was like so happy. <laughs> like, oh, this is just wonderful. I'm so happy to say that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we're excited uh, to have you joining us here as we kick off Black History Month. Um, and talking to someone with such a background as yourself. Um, but I want to jump right into it and just kind of talk about your work at the Phoenix Group. So uh, you're the leader, the founder of the Phoenix, Phoenix Lifestyle Marketing Group. Uh, tell us about the organization and the type of work you do, some of your clients, kind of give us an overview. Sure. Uh, one, one, first and foremost, thanks for having me here today. I just... I'm honored to be joining the League of Leaders with uh, uh, two um, tremendous professionals that are here to greet me and, and welcome me into this conversation. Um, the Phoenix Lifestyle Marketing Group is a point of passion, I guess, for me. Um, you all mentioned earlier that I've been in this industry um, leading organizations for the last couple of decades. And I founded the Phoenix um, just prior to the pandemic, which is always a strange thing to do. You know, if you have foresight, you decide to start a company right before a global pandemic. It means that you have some sort of insight into the world. Um, mm -hmm. We are a ragtag bunch of marketing um, professionals, I would say lovers of brands um, that have come together into a space that allows us to show up as exactly as we are, um, exactly as who we are, um, but to use our marketing powers for the forces of good to help to build brands, um, especially focused on those brands that are um, intent on bringing light to the world. Um, so I say that it's a passion project in that I've learned over the course of my career that all money ain't good money. And mm -hmm. so I'm long enough in the tooth to have founded a company that is decidedly focused on supporting those organizations that want to make the world a better place. And they're either doing so with their external world um, in, uh, engagement efforts and activities or doing so in strides in order to make certain that their internal environments are um, spaces of belonging for diverse groups. So what made you start the, the Phoenix Group? What made you decide, I want to break out on my own, which is, it, it's a risk. So what, what, what prompted you or? I think that the best answer to that question is that God has a great sense of humor. And I say that because I never wanted to own my own agency. I've never decided that entrepreneurship was something that I was striving for. I loved my cushy um, executive level positions in roles and the comfort level that comes as a result. For the better part of 15 years or so, I was the, I served as the CMO of an organization. Uh, fantastic experience for me. Uh, I learned quite a bit during um, that time in my career. 
um, from the leadership, the ownership of that agency. Um, I had built many relationships and so forth. Um, but we had philosophical differences of opinion in how we should approach one. What is necessary? What are the lengths that we will go to to value our internal uh, folks that keep the wheels turning and make the world go round? What are the lengths that we will go to to make sure that people feel comfortable, they feel like they belong, they feel valued? And in addition to that, I also had philosophical differences of opinion with those folks about what lengths we would go to to make certain that our clients were getting the value that they needed. And so I felt um, after a very, very long time being in that role that I felt like I was pushing a boulder uphill and mm -hmm. that it wasn't my boulder to push because it was an organization. They were set in their ways and they had the right to make the decisions that they made. It was just that I was serving as the face and the voice of those decisions, both internally and externally, and I just couldn't do it anymore. So I left. I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. I just knew that it wasn't that anymore. Um, and so after a short time of people finding out that I was not there, I started getting accosted by uh, clients and folks that said, hey, you know, could you come join our organization? Um, interestingly, I had a former client who had started his own agency and he had reached out to me and actually asked me to uh, come and lead his organization. His organization was about the same size as the organization that I had been running. And except his organization had grown exp exponentially to that size. And so they had rapid growth, which is a great problem to have, uh, but a problem nonetheless. And what he was looking for me to do is to come in and lead the organization and put some rigors around that growth and make sure that, um, that the growth would be sustainable. Um, they had some issues with relation to the clients. The clients were losing confidence uh, because of the nature of what rapid growth does to an organization and the outputs. Um, but in addition to that, the teams didn't feel like they were a part of anything. So I felt that this was a challenge that I could take on uh, another remote agency, you know, um, promise of remote work for folks that were out there that wanted that flexibility well in advance of the pandemic. And I jumped in two feet and I fell in love with the team. The team was amazing. And um, one of the things that I was able to afford is to create a culture. I was afforded the opportunity to create a culture around those folks. Um, we did place those rigors around what we were doing and the client's confidence was restored and it was fantastic for about six months. Um, but about six months into the this experience, this challenge, uh, I received a call out of the blue from the uh, owner of the parent company. And he let me know that he was dismantling all the subsidiaries, including the one that I was running. Mm. <laughs> Back to the wow. wow. So it was a really great experience, super great experience of something that you never thought that you wanted to actually learn how to do, which is unwind a company at the drop of a hat. And I notified the clients because I felt like it was my responsibility to let them know that work that they had invested in time, blood, sweat, and tears in was not going to happen. And I was totally prepared for the, the shooting of the messenger that would happen as a result. 
And when I walked into the meetings, I received the opposite. I received comments like, we've seen what you can do in six months. Couldn't you just start your own agency and we could have continuity, which I was shocked by. And my answer is no, I don't want to do that. That's not <laughs> on my list of sign up for that. things to do. That's not what I want yeah. to do. I just want to deliver um, this message. <laughs> yeah, I just came to tell you that this was happening. Um, but also on that same vein, when I had the same responsibility of sharing this update to this team of folks, I mean, these we're talking about people with families, families, mortgages, mouths yeah. to feed. And I totally expected the public meeting that was going to come as a result of what I got from them was wherever you land, we would like to find our way under that leadership. Like they appreciated what we had created in such a short amount of time. And I thought, again, God has an interesting sense of humor, but what if I could create a space? What if I could put all these people back to work doing what they love to do? in a space that valued them and that they felt like they could belong and they could be themselves, but that they also had the flexibility to prioritize their lives. And so I jumped out there on faith and I founded the Phoenix, uh, which I'm sure that you probably can tell that that means that I named the organization specifically because we rose from the ashes of the last agency mm -hmm. and um, that there's a power in that rebirth. And so when I founded the Phoenix, I was joined by um, members of that team, former colleagues, former clients, some suppliers who believed that doing business the right way was the only way to do business. And we're here and we're thriving and we're happy. And that's how we kind of got here. Wow. Something you said earlier, it's something we've talked about on the League of Leaders a number of times and just in general conversation. And you were saying that um, you were kind of at odds with the leadership at the organization. They want to make certain decisions and go certain ways, and you want you want to go a different way. And we talked about this on the League of Leaders, and just in, in the along the lines of it's okay, it's okay when you want to do something and your your company or your employer wants to go a different way. You have to make a decision. You can't fight the culture of the organization. Ultimately, this is someone else's baby. And so you have to make that decision instead of being here and being unhappy and fighting against their direction. And it's one of the things that's not right or wrong, it's theirs. Instead of trying to fight the culture, let me do what's best for me and go a different route. And so I don't think that that's something that's talked about enough uh, in workplaces, encouraging and empower people to know when to walk away. And now it's just waiting for when it's bad but when you see that there's a difference in your philosophies or your direction, it's okay. It's just like a relationship. When you see you're both not going the same route, instead of waiting to see if it's going to change, and it's not, you say, you know what, this isn't for me. We're not going in the same route, and let me leave. And you have that power that no one can take away when you make that decision. Absolutely. I, I agree. It's interesting because I think that um, – it's sort of at odds with what we've been taught, right? We've been yeah. taught to remain loyal. We've been taught to, you know, essentially follow follow directions uh, to toe the line, right? Um, and then also to put organization first. And I think that that's something that you have to un unlearn. What's really interesting is I think personally for me, 
with a military background, it is um, it's also at odds, right? Because you kind of fo- you follow orders that are lawful. Yeah. And so you don't have to agree with the orders, and you don't have just to do know, it, right? But you do know, and I think that that's where the that's where the piece of knowing when it's time to go is that it's the values part. If this yeah. is at odds with who I am and what I believe in, it's at that point that you know that you have to go. Yeah, there's a lot of power in that. I'm sorry, Erica. I said that's a lot. It's a lot of power in that. I, I I agree, but I think I probably stayed way longer than I was supposed to because of that unlearning. Yeah. Um, there's actually a. Um, there's an organization run by uh, Dr. Yannette Thomas, and she it's called um, Strategic Transitions. We did some brand work for her and her. It's not life coaching or career coaching that she provides, uh, but she has this analogy that she uses around gardening and that it's not necessarily that you couldn't be successful somewhere. She identifies or helps folks to identify that there are all of these different elements that will help, you know, if you were, you know, an orchid to, to, to thrive. And so in order for you to thrive, you need the right lighting, you know, the right sunlight. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you may be getting too much or not enough, that the soil, that all of those conditions that come together. So it's not that you wouldn't live. But that if we can transplant you into places where the condition is, the conditions are right for you and what you need, that you can you, that you can actually thrive as opposed to just survive. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I don't think that we think about as much as we should. We spend the majority of our waking hours working. And if we're spending that time at odds with our personal values or in conditions that don't allow us to thrive, it just seems like a waste of the gifts that we were given. I think we tip, we tap a little bit of that with the great resignation. I feel like folks are, they're doing one part of the equation. They're recognizing their power and they're leaving places that no longer serve them. But the part that's missing is, are you landing somewhere that actually serves you instead of running away from what you felt didn't serve you. So in the end, it's, you know, it's a, it's a zero thumb game, but we're getting there, but we haven't quite made it over. Okay. Yeah, and I think what a lot of leaders are finding is that a lot of people were running away. Um, a lot yeah. of people were not being strategic and intentional with the moves to make sure that those moves to um, Elizabeth's point is in alignment with your values. So um, so now we're seeing this shake where things are starting to balance out and people aren't running away from their jobs. So I'm just curious to see how leaders are going to take kind of the remainder of this year um, with employment and talent and things of that nature. Um, so when you speak about values and really being in alignment and moving um, in your values, Elizabeth, um, what would you say is your your leadership philosophy, your, your leadership mission? Oh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I would say, actually, I say this quite a bit. I feel like my responsibility as a leader is to leave people better than I found them. And so I think that it's my job to help them to find avenues of growth, whether that is personal or professional or both. Um, And 
it is that um, arming process. I hope, <laughs> especially the most talented people, I hope that they re- they want to remain with me and continue to contribute their tra- talents to the Phoenix and the projects that we're working on. But the reality is it's the same thing we were talking about earlier with like transplanting to thrive. You know, that that's not a realistic thought. And so I hope that for those folks that determine that they want to go elsewhere, that whatever it is that, that will be fulfilling for them, that they're able to find that. But I want to make sure that I did my responsibility to prepare them to be successful in that space, whatever that space is. Hopefully it's with me. <laughs> if it's not, and it's someplace else, I want them to be able to be prepared to thrive there. And so I think that it's almost, I guess, almost, um, I, I refer to myself as the mama bear because I feel like every I'm mothering everyone. <laughs> but I feel well, the my Phoenix is your baby. Yeah, it, it is. And I do. I view not just at the Phoenix. I mean, throughout my career, one of the things that you you would find if you engage with folks who have been on Elizabeth's team at one point or another, they probably have that same perspective that it's it ain't nothing nice i'm gonna and i that was intentional by the way it ain't nothing <laughs> nice to be on elizabeth's team because she's going to be hard and she's not going to let you take any shorts but it's part of that smelting process that will make you better and yeah. that you know that that's done with a whole lot of tough love and care because i want you to be prepared um so i think that that's like that's always been the case um i just want them to be better if they decide to leave to go someplace else then mm-hmm. that they're armed with everything that's going to make them successful in that space i bet everybody want to work for you they're like oh i want to i want to make sure i'm on elizabeth's team because i know when i walk away at whatever point i do i'm gonna be good <laughs> it takes a special kind of someone to be prepared for that. Yeah. Not, yeah. I don't think everybody is, um, everybody doesn't want the truth. Absolutely. Everyone wants to be comfortable. That's part of it. I mean, no yep. one really wants to face kind of the the hard truth, you know, and, um, but you're doing a disservice as a leader if you don't deliver and provide that hard truth to your people. Because um, you want them to grow. And if you want them to grow and you want them to be successful, that's part of it. Yeah. I agree. I, I had a conversation the other day and it was about growing pains. And I were talking about literal growing pains, like becoming a taller person and feeling the ache in your bones when you're a child. I don't know if most people remember this, but I know I remember. Mm-hmm. It's painful. Very growing painful. is painful. But the benefit comes out at the other end of the, the growth that has happened. But I don't think anybody, anybody, I don't think everybody steps foot in saying, I, I want to step foot into this growth. Everybody's not prepared for the pain or the discomfort, as you put it, Eric, because it is, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't think everybody's ready for that. So not everybody wants to be on Elizabeth's team because you don't, <laughs> You don't get to pick and choose whether or not you hear it or not, because my commitment is the same for everyone. Yeah. So I think that that takes a uh, perfect segue into our next question. Um, 
you know, just what has been your experience as a woman of color um, in a typically white male dominated space? And, you know, I, I asked that question as a black man who's often the only or the first or one of few in the space. And we're often left out of the conversation or some of that truth or that bluntness, that honesty that you mentioned when we give it, it's perceived and received very differently. And so I'm just curious on what has been your experience um, leading this organization as a woman of color? Um, what has that been like for you? So I would say that as a woman of color, it is a male dominated, white male dominated uh, industry. And oftentimes I have been faced with um, I guess this stereotypes, there's an assumption that is made about me when I walk in the room and it's been the case since, since I can remember. And the assumptions that are made about me are oftentimes that there is a lack of an expectation for me to be smart or for me to be powerful. Um, there's also a perception that I would somehow be emotional or have so much emotion or anger, something, I don't know. Um, and so then I'm also oftentimes met with the surprise that comes as a result when their expectations aren't the case. Um, it has been challenging, I think, throughout my career as a woman of color for, for those very same reasons. The, um, the underpinning or the, un, the low expectation of what I would bring to the table as a person of color. Um, the probably a lot less, a lot less common today than historically, but some of the comments and things that we have to decide whether or not we should make a hard or a soft check on someone based on what they have said, um, whether it is about us as individuals or others. Um, so I, it's been a unique challenge, I think. I think more recently, um, women of color are being embraced more um, in the leadership mm -hmm. space. And one of the things that and we're sought after, our opinions are being sought after, um, especially in the, in the last, I would say the last couple of years, it's been almost like everybody stop and let's hear what Elizabeth has to say. Whereas in the past, mm -hmm. we probably had to fight a lot more in order to have our voice heard and have to fight where you're doing almost a choreographed dance to fight without being viewed as fighting in order to be. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a unique twist on where we are. I, I'm not certain if it's sustainable or it, I haven't decided whether or not I'd like to believe that it is, uh, but I haven't decided whether or not this is a permanent shift. Okay. I guess we'll keep watching. Yeah. <laughs> we'll stay tuned in. So just to go kind of off of that point, how can men help advocate for women in the workplace? 
I think there's lots of things that men can do. I think one main thing is to not feel the privilege to have to be the voice, mm. the first response, the, um, you know, the ability to yield and ask the question to create open space. Uh, but I also think advocating for smart things that women are saying, whether that is by chiming in in agreement with something that has been said, um, making sure that you're creating space by asking the question when we see that there are women or women of color in their room, um, by saying, Erica, what I, Erica, I see you thinking over there. What is it that you can contribute or what, what are you thinking about? Cause I'm sure that there's value that you can add to this discussion, but being able to create that space, um, I think that there's a tremendous amount, but I think part of it, I think it all is rooted in recognizing the privilege that you have and then determining how to move in the opposite direction of that privilege. Well noted. Right, I'm looking at Kevin like. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm always listening and, you know, looking for opportunities to learn and grow. Um, you know, even in the, even in many environments where I'm the only um, man, let alone black man, um, it's usually in teams that are dominated by women. And so I'm always trying to make sure that I'm, I'm being inclusive. I'm making sure that I'm empowering or learning how to be a better leader and how to advocate in spaces and, and champion, you know, for the women that are around me, even if they don't report to me, um, you know, and that, that was kind of like, how the League of Leaders podcast started, because the only thing I would listen to were podcasts by uh, Black women talking about the workplace. There was nothing for men. And so I've been listening and listening and listening, always trying to find ways to, to be better and to, to be a better advocate, ally, champion, or whatever that looks like. So I'm sitting up here like, yeah, can you take some notes? And always, always find a way to be better. I feel like that comes through in all of the things that I've seen from you. Yeah. And I think also um, what I've recognized in ways that I've seen men kind of advocate for women in the workplace um, is that oftentimes they're in the conversations for the projects that are coming down the pipe and um, to actually say, hey, I think that, you know, Elizabeth should lead this project and placing people and being that sponsor and placing people onto more visible projects and in things in the workplace um, has been, I would say, helpful for the women that I've seen have been placed in those areas um, for them in their careers. I think that's I think that's a great point. Also, you know, to that, you know, along those lines, identifying when there are not women that are part of conversations and mm -hmm. rejecting the notion that we should have the discussion. Why are we having this discussion in this space where we don't have the appropriate representation and perspective here that will help us to be successful. Right. You were recently appointed as the head of marketing uh, for Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. And, you know, that that got me hyped up because I serve in the same role <clears throat> um, in Phi Beta Sigma and have um, in two different versions of that role since 2017. And so, um, it's great to have someone at the helm that I know um, and I know what they can do professionally. 
And, you know, I am, I am excited to see more of our organization adding this function uh, because we do have to brand. We do have to market. We have engagement. We have stakeholders. We have uh, prospective members. There's so many different, um, uh, so many different groups and groups of stakeholders that we need to uh, market and communicate with. So I was excited to see that you landed that position. And so, you know, just for those that are listening, what does that mean? What type of project? Are you working on Founders Day just passed? Did you have anything to do with that? It's kind of what, what's going on with, with Zeta and, and marketing and branding. So one, thank you. I think that um, it is a tremendous way to participate in your organization by bringing the, the, the talents that you have or the expertise that you have and being able to contribute that. Um, you know, I, I believe that as members of these organizations, we have contributed at whatever way that they need us, right? When Zeta calls, we're going to- You don't hang up. You don't no, hang up. Yeah. We answer one and all. <laughs> let's put it in, let's let me say in our chapter, when Zeta call, don't hang up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I think it's a tremendous opportunity. Um, I, one, to be able to contribute um, my personal, not just my expertise, but my passion, because I am a lover of brands. And of course, I am a lover of the Zeta brand. Um, I think it's also a tremendous um, opportunity to collaborate because our Marcom team um, has a number of, um, of really capable, experienced um, folks in this industry, in the Marcom industry, that we're all working together. So with this collaborative approach, that I think is really fantastic. Um, we have some folks that specialize in design, folks that specialize in branding, uh, folks that are in the communications industry, the PR industry, and we're all coming together in order to um, support our international president, um, who has shifted the organization and our focus into really um, building towards that which is extraordinary. And I think that when we think about the word extraordinary, like we do things all day and sometimes we do things that are great and sometimes we do things that are amazing, but making certain that our consistent um, output is extraordinary is a daily, mm -hmm. I think is a, it is a daily stretch goal. <laughs> Um, as far as projects are concerned, um, our team is one in the process of recalibrating the Zeta brand. Um, it is interesting when you consider organizations that are as, as, um, as old as ours. We are 103 years old, and many of us have worked on work with organizations or brands that are, you know, heritage brands that have been yeah. around for a century or more. And really looking at um, un, an understanding of those things that the founders thought of and they envisioned for us, and then layering on the reality that this world that we're in today and the one that we're moving for, toward in the next 20 to 50 years is going to be very different than what they could envision. And how do we take that which they forecasted what are the things that they were looking at and how do we apply that to where we are today and where we want to go next? Um, so part of it is in making certain that we have, you know, those keys to um, brand marketing, consistency and communication, making sure that we're all aligned and that we are communicating with one voice, um, that we are engaging those different stakeholder groups that you mentioned earlier, Kevin, 
in ways that are meaningful and empowering and move them further into the fold. Um, so that's uh, quite a bit of work. When you consider we're all in the, in the same or similar industries, um, the actual process of gauging and understanding what our membership and what our stakeholders are looking for for us, the things that they love that should never change, the pain points that need to be addressed. Uh, so going through and doing the surveying that is necessary in order to make sure that we have the right insights that we're building upon, and then leveraging a network of professionals uh, in the branding and marketing space in order to go through the brand development work to re review and recalibrate, refine vision, mission goals, essence, strategic planning, and then communication plans that are in output. Um, the other thing that we're really focused on is being able to provide the tools that are necessary for those who are not marketers or yeah. folks that are experts in branding, because you can. it's easy to say, communicate in one voice and make everything look the same and consistent and yada, yada. And if everybody is not a graphic designer, then that's a little bit difficult for yeah. us to be able to make certain that we have um, communications that look the same way, not just from IHQ, but at the regional, state, and local chapter levels. Um, so establishing the right guidelines, but also the right toolkits that are easy to manipulate in order to be able to deliver against that really lofty objective. So those are things that we're working on right away. Um, also making certain that we are aligned in our communications, right? There are internal communications that are focused on engagement. Um, of our sisterhood and internal membership. And what are those things that we should be communicating externally and how do we convey um, the right messaging uh, to each of those stakeholder groups? So there's a lot on the plate right now, which I'm yeah. sure that you are familiar with, Kevin, that takes a lot, yeah. of, it's a lot of heavy lift, but it's done in um, the highest degree of love for Zeta and all that she has to offer us and um all that she has to offer women for generations to come yeah, well let me it, tell you something you've been doing <laughs> a really good job thus far i will say i've been receiving the communications and you've been doing well you and the team are are cranking so well done thus far for sure I will, I will share that with the rest of the team because i know yeah. that there is a lot of heavy lift going on out there and it is a labor of love you know um, yeah so absolutely we, we appreciate that we really do absolutely yeah. so go ahead kevin yeah i was gonna say and just speaking from a you know being in that similar role um in, in five beta sigma that has been probably one of the most challenging roles that i've taken on in my professional career. And, you know, there are things that I learned from um, being a part of the rebranding of two universities that I was able to bring over to Sigma, you know, to your point, just on making sure that all the resources are together, making sure that you understand that there isn't just one voice. There's one thing to say, but you may have to figure out how to say it four ways for a few different audiences. But I think that the challenge that we face in our organizations is accounting for the variance that happens that have happened over 100 plus years in different states and regions and what people have been taught and told uh, versus what's a policy versus what's your preference and handling that with care because we do take such great pride in our organizations and you know 
we spend so much time, we have such great reverence for our organization. So you don't want to discount what people have learned and have been taught, but there's a way that we have to recalibrate in order to get our organization to where we're trying to go and get into that, that space of one voice, uh, you know, or, you know, one, one mission and one goal. And that's no small feat because you're dealing with so many personalities, so many feelings, so many experiences under one umbrella. And so, you know, as you, you all, you're leading the, the charge over at Zeta, I'm already seeing that consistency and that alignment, which is so important. And, I, and I'll say that that only can come from someone who has done this professionally. This is not something you figure out. You have to know how to go in and build consensus and get the feedback and, and, and distill this all down into something simple while honoring and respecting our founders, you know, founders of all our organizations, the, the principal tenants and, and our accomplishments over the years. It, that is a big, that's a big ask. It is a, it's a heavy load to carry, but, um, you know, I'm confident that you and your team and, and, you know, with the new Grand Basilisk, um, you all are going to take Zeta to new heights. So I just want to put that little, you know, professional plug in from, you know, a member of Phi Beta Sigma who said, you know, on the same bench as you all, but also the professional and someone who sits, um, you know, in a similar seat. So. I really appreciate that. I mean, our team, our Marcom team is so qualified, but to your point, it is a, it has to be a labor of love one because we're volunteers. And so I think when you're volunteering, when you're doing the same type of work, which is a, a heavy lift, and it comes with a paycheck, it's a lot easier to lift it. <laughs> but it's like yeah. leaning, leaning back on, you know, the founders and our experience and, and how much we love Zeta. I think that that makes the value that much more, especially when we hear um, that we're going in the right direction. I think that that's fantastic. But um, also, you know, the point, and I think that that's one of the things I'm glad that you called out. Um, our international president, Dr. Stacy N.C. Grant, has um, positioned us to do things differently, um, to do things that maybe differently, maybe we haven't done them or approached them this way in the past. Um, but one of the things that is really great about this administration is in each and every area, we have these folks that are super qualified um, to take on the roles that they are taking on and can bring that wealth of experience that comes from their professional um their professional mm-hmm. roles into this space and i think that that's just phenomenal uh, when you see the collaboration not just with the marcom but across um the different areas of focus there's just so much that's happening and tapping into like the power of what we have in zeta with regard to professional expertise in the areas that we want to make an impact in yeah watch us work because embracing the extraordinary is happening every day. Yeah. One thing I will add, and I'll, I'll turn it to Erica, is I wanted to call out how the pandemic just kind of tossed your centennial celebration into the wind. And I was, I, was at, I was in D.C. for the January celebration. And, you know, less than 60 days later, the world changed and canceled everything and i know you all tried to wait as long as you could no one knew how long this would happen and so the point that i wanted to make was just that how you all 
continue this 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 momentum during that year virtually membership engagement programs the branding you couldn't tell you know now we're we're three years past and you couldn't tell that such a um, historic disturbance was right in the middle of your centennial celebration and engagement is super high and I don't know how many organizations would have been able to pivot and keep that that momentum and engagement going, but you all have done it. And, um, I, you know, I don't see you all slowing down <laughs> anytime soon. Nope, the Zeta train has left the building and we are on the move. But I, you know, it's funny that you bring up Centennial because I saw Erica shaking her head yes too, that we were all looking forward to that 100 year. And I was also in DC uh, for the January celebration at midnight on the yard. It was beautiful. And then I was so excited about what we were going to be doing for, for uh, our belay uh, coming in June. But I remember actually posting from our Centennial celebration. And I posted something about our virtual boulet. And I said, how fitting is it that 100 years after we were founded, that we would be meeting virtually through screens, using mm -hmm. technology for all of these people who might not have been able to make the trip to D.C. Absolutely. That were afforded the opportunity to connect in the middle of a global pandemic for us to act, that only, it was just, it was, it was perfect. You couldn't write that differently. And I know that I wanted to see my sores and lay eyes on them and throw my arms around them for big hugs and all of those things. But it is almost poetic that we were virtual on our 100th anniversary delay celebration. I, it just seems befitting that we would be undertaking this using technology and thinking mm -hmm. to the future. And yes, a pivot because we didn't get a year to plan for this virtual thing. That we were yeah. doing. But it was amazing nonetheless. And so I think we were fortunate for that experience, but I do remember reflecting on how, how appropriate it would be for us to be a hundred years later doing something that seemed, you know, seemingly innovative. impossible. That's yeah. very innovative. Yeah. 20. Yeah, no, I love that perspective because when you say that, I'm like, you know, that actually makes it feel better because <laughs> most people were like, oh, I want to be in person. And yeah, and I agree with you. Like, I would have loved to be in person to have those uh, conversations, the hugs, et cetera. But to take it from the lens of watching the organization evolve and get to a point where our five founders were meeting in a hall to now there are hundreds of us meeting virtually um, is, is a huge testament, is a huge testament for sure. So I know um, we are coming close on time, but I want to actually ask you the questions that we typically ask almost all of our guests. So here at the League of Leaders, we are we're readers. So leaders are readers, right? So we always ask the questions about what's the most recent uh, book you've read? Okay. So this is a tough question for me because I, I read a lot of books at the same time. Oh, so you're a Kevin. See, I'm I'm not a I'm not a multiple book reader. I like knocking out a book at a time and then moving on to the next. So I think my challenge is that I when 
reading is my favorite thing to do. And so if I had to pick something to do, you know, I'll be on vacation on Friday and I'll be on the beach. And the best thing for me to do is to be able to read on a beach. Um, that's the, the thing that I look forward to. Um, but I also believe that when we're, when because I enjoy reading, it's kind of like people who enjoy food. Depending on what I'm in the mood for, I have to determine what I need to feed myself. And so in certain time periods, there are things that I want to feed myself um, that are really going to help me and they're very healthy and they're going to be constructive. And then sometimes I need to feed myself the things that are decadent and delicious and so forth. Um, right now, I'm reading several books and they are all this is. I, can I make one admission first? I'm a doomsday prepper. Okay. <laughs> I'm planning for the zombie apocalypse. Now, I don't know what the doomsday is, but I believe, I think it's um, being raised in Southern California in, in advance of earthquakes. Yeah. With the earthquake environment, you're supposed to be prepared. So part of it is you have to have water and batteries and all of these things. And we were always waiting for the big one. So you needed to be prepared. And there was this idea behind that. And then living in upstate New York, there's blizzards that happen all the time and so the blizzards that'll happen will make it so that you can't leave your home and that you need to make sure that you have food and you can stay warm and yada yada and so on and so forth so i prep for everything but i got stuck somehow in this dystopian world i don't remember the actually i think i do remember the first book that put me down on that path and i'm also a kindle reader because i need to carry as many books with me as possible for the same reasons that i mentioned earlier um, I read the book, The Dog Stars, which is very beautifully written for anyone who hasn't read it. It's a wonderful story. It's very descriptive. Um, but The Dog Stars put me on a path um, for dystopian um, storylines. So I'm reading four or five different um, books that are fiction. And they are all in varying degrees, either leading towards something that is impending or that we have just come through something where we're reestablishing society and the world, or it's a few hundred years into the future and there is a different way that we're approaching the world. But those are the things that I'm currently feeding my brain. So these aren't your, so what's your favorite book? Because it seemed like it got you down this path and now it's still turning back. It sounds like for you. It's what well, you know, that Kindle thing keeps telling you to do this and do that, do this and do that. Um, but the, um, I would say this is probably going to be me, the biggest nerd. Here. Um, uh -oh. I, I would say that my favorite um, is the Game of Thrones series. I read all of okay. the books. There's no judgment here. Okay, good. Because no, no judgment. Normally, no judgment at all. Love Game of Thrones. Right. Well, normally, if you read the books and you watch the show or the movie, you won't like the show or the movie. But I actually really enjoyed the show, except for the last season. Um, but I, I really, agree. yeah, yeah I'm like, it was yeah. fantastic. But those books were, you know, they're somewhere between 1,100 and 1,500 pages apiece. But you didn't feel like you were reading that much. You couldn't stop yourself. It was just yeah. very, very, very well, well written and, and almost uh, Star Wars-esque in creating an entire new world with 
the layer of detail on the different people and the cultures and the language and all of that I thought was fantastic. Um, so yeah, the Game of Thrones books probably hands down right now the favorite, although that's a little bit um, fantasy, dystopian mm-hmm. fantasy, so yeah. a little bit off the off the path of what I'm reading now. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. But it is totally I haven't okay. landed on. I, I don't know that we'll have another set of Game of Thrones, or I don't know that we'll have another something that is that. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Or I don't know that Kindle will lead me there. So hopefully somebody can make a recommendation if they find something. You're going to get a whole new following crew after this uh, podcast go out. Like, right. what? She loves the Game of Thrones? Let me hit her up. Oh, my goodness. I was so excited after I read the books, right, and the show was on. And, and my husband was watching it and I was in a different room and I was listening and it sounded really familiar to me. And I'm like, I feel like I've seen this before. And he's like, no, 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 it's new. And I walked in, I'm like, no, this is going to happen. That's good. That, that, and that's how I got it. But then I got into the show because then it became me having conversations about this is not how I did it in the book. It's different. It's never like that. Yeah. It's never like that. Never yes, like it was that. Phenomenal. It was phenomenal. But I did, I got so excited after I finished the books, they had another book that was coming out. The author had um, released another book and I was so excited that I got on the reading list like a, a year in advance. I purchased it and then I was oh, wow. getting ready to go on vacation and it popped in and I was like, yes, I'm <laughs> so excited. And then when I started reading it, I didn't realize I was, because I wanted to know what was next, but it was a prequel. And so... I was disappointed. I still read it because it was great, but it was a prequel. <laughs> it wasn't a book that I wanted to read. through, okay? <laughs> well, I am a firm believer. You were committed, so you had to see it through. You have to finish books. I, I think yeah. it's, it, even if it's an awful book, I have to finish it if I started it. It's like a rule that I've I have had somewhere. Of a couple I need to finish that are terrible, which is I rare. I don't know if I have that same stuff. level of commitment. I don't. Do you just say I'm done? How do you know? I, I don't I even know if I say I'm done. It's just more along the lines of the, the interest just decreased. So then something else shines brighter. And then I'm like, oh, what's this? And then somehow I just so happen to just leave that book to the side and then come back to it moons later. Like, oh, yeah, I only finished two chapters. <laughs> Yeah. No, I get into the awful. I actually had one book and, and it was it was similar to the dog stars and it was very descriptive, but it was a like a mystery. And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to get to the mystery part, but the the narrator just kept talking about birds. It's taking like too describing long. Describing all the birds. And I was like, if he talks about one more bird right now, I still like it. So so, Elizabeth, how can people get in contact with you? I mean, I'm sure outside of, you know, the branding and communications and all the work you've done in nonprofits and now learning about your uh, book adventures here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how can folks get in contact? People can get in touch with me through social media. Uh, so I can be reached at EK Calder essentially on any platform. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this was great. This was great. So happy that you you joined us here on the League of Leaders. Thank yeah, she you so helped much us for make history. Me. You helped us make history. Um, this is our first podcast together with a guest. You know, this is Erica to join forces with me officially a couple of months ago, I think, or somewhere around right. there. And this, you're the first interview we've done together. You know, during Black History Month, all of that good stuff. So uh, you helped us make history here. 
Well, I am honored. Thank you so much for having me. It was a wonderful experience. And hope you invite me back sometime. Would love to. Well, that's it. We had a great discussion. Thank you for joining us, Elizabeth, as always. Uh, all right, that's it, legal leaders. See you awesome. next time. Thank you both. I had a great discussion.